Hello, and welcome to the Association Advisor podcast. We're glad you've joined us for a conversation around best practices, news, and leadership strategies for association professionals. I'm Kelly Clark. And I'm Katie Brown. On this episode, we talk with two leading communicators in the association community, Evan Sparks of the American Bankers Association and Bill Thorne of the National Retail Federation. Both Evan and Bill focus not only on producing content that their members value, but on delivering that content in a way that's accessible and convenient for as many members as possible. And according to our annual association communications benchmarking study, Bill and Evan aren't the only association communicators trying to balance tradition with trends in communication. While association professionals have ranked traditional face-to-face events and print magazines within their top three communication channels for three years running, and printed member newsletters broke into our top 10 for the first time since we've run this survey, newer, trendier forms of communication are gaining prominence. Though not in the top 10, private online communities, apps, and podcasts were all rated as very or extremely valuable by 40% or more of association professionals we surveyed. Easing into new communication channels comes with a learning curve. 43% of associations who responded to our survey say that overcoming technical barriers like getting past spam filters or learning how to use a new platform is a major communication challenge. But if associations want to stay relevant among industry professionals, it's necessary to push yourself onto the leading edge of communication technology and trends as you try to maintain a connection with your members. Evan and Bill have so much to say about this topic and their experiences, and we can't wait to share our conversation with them. But first, a quick message from our sponsor, Naylor Association Solutions. For almost 50 years, Naylor has helped build strong trade and professional associations by powering solutions that connect members and earn non-dues revenue. We offer a blend of communication, event, and software solutions that no other company can match. We're Naylor, and we're passionate about helping your association achieve more. Visit our website at www.naylor.com. Today's episode features Evan Sparks, Vice President for Publications at the American Bankers Association, and Bill Thorne, Senior Vice President for Communications and Public Affairs at the National Retail Federation. Based in Washington, D.C., Evan Sparks is the Editor-in-Chief of the ABA Banking Journal. He leads a team of writers and editors producing print, digital, and audiovisual resources for bankers, including ABA's award-winning Daily News Bites email bulletin. He is also the creator and co-host of the ABA Banking Journal podcast. Prior to joining ABA, Evan was managing editor of Philanthropy Magazine and an associate editor at the American Enterprise Institute. Bill Thorne is responsible for the creation and implementation of communication strategies around advocacy priorities, policy campaigns, and reputational programs. Bill came to the National Retail Federation in 2012 from the Walmart Corporation, where he was the Senior Director for Advocacy and Outreach. Prior to his time at Walmart, he served as a Vice President for the DCI Group, a public affairs firm. He served for five years as the Director of Political and Legislative Grassroots at the American Medical Association, as well as with successful political campaigns on the local, state, and federal level. Welcome, Bill and Evan. Thank you. Glad to be here. So to start out with, um, our 2018 Association Communications Benchmarking Survey revealed an interesting set of statistics. Our respondents said that traditional communication channels such as face-to-face events and print magazines are still considered the most valuable channels to their association for communicating with members. 90% of them consider events very valuable, 
while 74% consider their print magazine extremely valuable. We're wondering, what role do events and more traditional publications like printed publications play in your associations? And Evan, I'll, I'll hand this off to you first. Sure. Um, you know, Traditional print publications are a really important part of what we do to communicate with members at the American Bankers Association. It's not all we do. We've been, we do a lot in terms of digital and we've been a, a leader in digital for a long time. But, you know, we have a 110 year old print magazine, the ABA Banking Journal. I'm the editor of that magazine. And it's a, uh, it's a really powerful way of connecting with our members and of, you know, providing a, but I guess I'll just say is a little bit more of a permanent um, way of communicating. You know, we all get a lot of emails. Our inboxes are inundated every day. If there's something that you can uh, send out that people hold on to, they put it on their coffee table, they put it on their desk, they actually, like, flip through it and look at it, that's a tangible representation of both um, uh, member value and it's also a uh, um, a way of communicating in a way that uh, people can actually read and remember. I mean, you know, there's research that shows that the things we read on screens are not as memorable to us. Um, you know, you don't, you have a harder time remembering the things you read on a, on a Kindle or the, the things you read on your phone versus something that you read in a book or a magazine. So, um, so we think we continue to think that print is a really important part of our of our overall member communication strategy. I, I agree with that, and I think that um, you know print is very important. People want it. We've uh, surveyed, and uh, our surveys have found repeatedly that the print magazine is an important way for them to keep in communication, not only about what's happening uh, in their industry, but the impacts of other things that are happening in technology uh, and in facets of the industry, because our store's magazine, which isn't 110, it's closer to 100 and Two, it covers a whole range of subjects that people wouldn't normally. They're not going to click. They don't have to click around to find it. It's all right there, in one place. Uh, and I think you know, as far as the networking is concerned, that's why, you know, every year we seem to be able to convince 37,000 people to travel to New York City in uh, January uh, for our big show. The networking is incredibly important. Uh, the face-to-face, -face. and I think that all goes back to you know, wanting that tactile experience, the see, touch, and smell of a magazine, and as well as being able to have that conversation uh, with a lot of different experts, people that are involved and engaged in all the different facets of the industry. So print is important. Networking is also critically important as far as member value is concerned. Well, Bill, I've been to your show up in January, and you're right. It is quite the phenomenal networking event for sure. <laughs> You both mentioned that members want a tactile, memorable way of consuming information. So if traditional forms of communicating are still going strong, why do you think trendier forms of communication are becoming popular as well? Well, I can say from the from the point of view of of meeting members' needs is that the pace of change in our industry, in the banking industry, I'm sure in the retail industry as well, continues to accelerate. And we are just not able to keep up with the information in a uh, with the information that bankers need to know in a quarterly, in our case, a bi-monthly magazine. Uh, we used to have, you know, several years before I started at ABA, I've been here for five years, we had a uh, weekly newspaper that went out, news kind of newsletter that was mailed out to all to all our members member banks and that contained a lot of up to date information and I think they stopped publishing that in the 2000s but it was uh it was just really overtaken by 
the volume of news, the volume of change, that just by the time you get a, a more frequent publication like that, you can't keep up. So that's why we've had it. We have a uh, um, our kind of flagship email bulletin that we send out is every single morning called ABA Daily News Bites, and that is a uh, covers all the news from Washington, regulatory highlights, legislative highlights, advocacy issues, other industry trends that we in in a kind of short digestible format. Bankers really love it, especially our compliance officers who have to deal with, you know, a huge volume of regulatory change and implement that in the bank. And that's been going on. We've had that since that publication since 1995, and it goes out to 70,000 bankers nationwide every single business day. So that's the way that we kind of can communicate that breaking, urgent, important news, keep members apprised on a day-to-day basis of what's going on with their association and with um, the broader industry trends. But then we have that bi-monthly magazine to really take a, a deeper dive into topics, to uh, to cover some more evergreen issues, to answer some more strategic questions um, about the bank and, or about the industry. So that's uh, that's kind of at a difference in how we see it. You know, are we we cover the the need to know, breaking news, rapidly changing issues in our in a digital format that's you know that comes to you every single day and helps you keep keep on top of what you need to know but then we help you take a step back and look at some broader strategic issues with uh, with a print magazine and we think that balance works really well and at ABA we've integrated both of those the print magazine and our daily email news service into a single website which is at aba.com/bankingjournal uh that that encompasses that and some additional bonus content so that all of it's available in one place if you if you're looking to find something find some insight keep track of, of you know past news, but it does really blend the best of both worlds, we think, in terms of how we're communicating with members. Yeah, and, and I think to Evan's point, again, that, you know, it's not um, these, you know, trendier or these up-and-coming ways that people are communicating, are, they're not replacing, they're just supplementing and helping us to ensure that we're getting the information out uh, to the people that want it, when they want it, where they want it, and how they want to receive it. And so, I think a lot of it is not so much a question of does this work better than the other. If it didn't work, then we wouldn't be doing it. We're constantly asking the question, how do you want your information communicated? And and again, we find there's a lot for the print. There's a lot of people that want through email. There's a lot of people that um, you know visit our stores. Uh, online edition. There's a lot of people that um, you know sign up for our email uh, chains and alerts uh, for the specific councils and groups that we have within the uh, NRF. Uh, and then you know to Evan, it's exactly NRF.com. Um, our website is probably one of the best ways I think that we communicate with our members with the most up-to-date information. You know, right there at the top. And anything that they want and they need any service that they're interested in receiving, uh, they can find right there. So I, I think that it's all a question of it's not so much what's trendy. It's more what's effective. And the best way of, of determining that is asking the recipients directly. And so constantly seeking out knowledge about what people want and how they want to get it. It's, not, it's, it's just like retail. You know, retail's changing every single day. And so uh, our retail leaders have to figure out ways to get the product to the customer where they want it, when they want it, and how they want it at the price point that they're willing to pay for it. Yeah, that's great feedback. In our benchmarking survey, the number of respondents who said providing mobile-friendly communications is a challenge has actually decreased from 34% two years ago, this year down to 26%. 
Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because members are becoming more mobile savvy or maybe that there's better mobile-based communication platforms available? Or, or what do you see as, as being one of those reasons? Well, I, I just think it's expected anymore. I mean, it, you know, it, it's just uh, the more that it's being pushed out that way uh, and the more people are willing to, to get it that way, the more people are becoming savvy as it relates to using that particular platform in which to get the news that they want. So it's not surprising to me at all. I think it's, and I think you're going to find that number probably decreasing every single year that you do the benchmark because more and more people are getting their news through, you know, a, a mobile platform. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, that Bill. I think the the platform providers, um, the the technology vendors that we use to deliver content are also just, you know, mobile is. Mobile is table stakes for this kind of communication, and so they they provide that, and you know we don't have to go do a lot of extra work to make sure that the content we deliver is mobile friendly. The technology is really caught up. I mean, it, it used to be kind of clunky to, yeah. to basically you know surf the information or get to the information that you want to find within whatever you've received, and now the technology is such that it gets you to where you need to be when you want to get or how you want to get there rather quickly, and and navigating is easier. I think that the technology is responding to, uh, again, to the customer, and as a result, more people are adopting it as a kind of a first way to get their information. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, do each of your associations provide different content by platform, or can a member find the same content across your portfolio, but maybe presented in a different or enhanced way depending on which channel they're referencing? I would say that every platform that we use in which we serve up our content, it all has its own voice and purpose, but they all intersect. Um, we don't want to duplicate content. Uh, we want to look at it from different angles. We might look at uh, one specific retailer from three different perspectives. You know, We might have a podcast interview with the CEO, a blog post covering a session uh, with the brand, uh, or a magazine article in stores that um, looks at the new uh, technology. Uh, that they're using in order to meet customer demand. So if we're doing it right, uh, it all fits together and really promotes each other. So I, I think that different platforms, different ways, but telling the same story. And uh, and I, I absolutely agree with Bill. I mean, that's a, that's our philosophy as well here at ABA to um, you know make, take a lot of different tacks to 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 tell the same story about what banks are doing to serve their customers and communities. Um, but, you know, and then just in terms of how we provide access to the platform, we've made kind of a conscious choice with uh, with our magazine and with uh, um, the digital version of the magazine, with the short news stories, the, the news bites stories that we post on on that site to make that open access so that's not it's not behind a member paywall. We at ABA have a lot that we do restrict to members only, simply because we do think there's some there's valuable content there. But you know, we kind of looked at the educational value of what we are producing in the magazine and the the um, value of the advertising that we get by having a larger readership on the site. And so we decided that we wanted to keep that keep that open. And then the the daily email news service that you get with news stories in your inbox every morning at seven o'clock, that's a uh, um that is remains a member only service that's sort of uh you know access, access only by ABA member banks. So that's that's a little bit about the kind of the access strategy that we, we pursued on that. Following up on that, I have a couple of questions. Bill, you mentioned earlier that you like for NRF communications to have a distinct voice from one another. 
do you consider member demographics when developing the voice of different communications? And Evan, feel free to answer that one as well. You have to. You know, part of it is this industry, uh, the retail industry, is so broad in terms of not only what they're selling, what they're using in order to sell, uh, bricks and mortar, online, omni-channel. We have to make sure that when we tell the story, and to me, and I, I would just say this from the outset, I, I, I'm a great believer that uh, the National Retail Federation is in a unique position to tell retail stories. So in order to be credible in that space, it's not us telling the stories. It's not the shills of the industry. It is providing the platform by which the industry can tell their own stories. So if it's the independent retailer uh, telling about some of the uh, latest things that they're doing in the communities that they serve in order to um, help make the customer experience a better experience, or if it's a major department store, or if it's Walmart, it doesn't matter. Each has a compelling story that really impacts uh, the, the entire industry, and everybody can learn from that, whether you're the independent or you're the largest retailer in the world. Uh, we, they learn from each other because they have similar experiences, believe it or not. The way that we tell that story is by allowing them to tell that story, and I think that attracts a certain demographic. But at the end of the day, because it is so varied, um, we've, we've got a lot of stories to tell. So, again, those platforms making sure that they're in their voice uh, that it's compelling and relevant to their business and what they're trying to accomplish, I think that's the end goal every time we do something on any of the platforms. Again, whether it's uh, on the website, whether it's through a blog, whether it's in the print magazine, the online uh, magazine, it doesn't matter. It's just making sure that we're consistent in that storytelling. Yeah, we, that's a, we, we, we have a, a similar focus on, um, on focusing on what unites banks across the country. There are uh, more than 5,500 banks across the country, but, and they range from a small community bank with one location in the rural area to, uh, um, you know, up to the big giants like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase. And so there's a huge amount of diversity in terms of the business models that banks pursue, the types of customers they serve. Uh, but there's a common goal and thread of providing jobs and of fueling jobs and economic growth and helping people's financial dreams to come true, whether that's to start a business, to buy a home, to uh, save for your kids to go to college. So there's a very much a common mission and a common goal, but every bank is different and there is a huge amount of diversity in our industry. We really love that diversity. We think it helps fuel economic growth by making sure that there is a bank for every kind of credit need out there. But you know that does create a member a member communications challenge when we think about how we're going to talk about issues to our members. So, you know, when we think look at look at the issues that we're communicating about, whether it's a policy issue or a business strategy concern, we make sure that the communications that we have are either targeted to um, particular members. So we'll kind of we we do target a few of our publications for uh, based on whether it's business model or based on whether it's asset size category that kind of thing. And then we'll we're just really sensitive to make sure in the magazine, for instance, that we uh, that we have a good balance of content that every so that there's something in there that every banker would find, be able to. To read and say, hey, this helps me do my job better. Um, and then, in terms of the podcast that we have, the ABA Banking Journal podcast, you know, we are very conscious about representing the diversity of the industry there. So, I recently had an episode with a hundred billion dollar regional bank, and they are launching a new vertical on um, to support businesses in the telecom, technology, and media sector. So that was an interesting conversation. The week before that, I had a, a CEO from a small. Uh, 
community bank in Indiana, and they serve rural markets in Indiana, and they provide bring you know they have a real focus on bringing insurance and wealth management products to these markets. So it's uh, we try and represent the diversity of the industry in all the um, in all the communications that we do, and and tailor the communications to the extent we can to the diverse needs of those members. Yeah, it is so important to include all member groups in your communication so that every member feels like this is where they're supposed to be, that they have a voice in this industry and in your association. So I completely understand where you're coming from. What influence, if any, do advertisers have on the development of your communication platforms, their delivery, or their frequency? In terms of how advertisers intersect with us in terms of content, we never allow advertisers to uh, um, to dictate content to us. Uh, that's certainly, you know, we have a we have a sponsored content section on our website. So if advertisers want to put out a particular white paper or um, get the word out about what some of their programs, they can use. You know, they have a, several channels to do that. But they're they're not involved with the content strategy at any point. We do have a real conscious emphasis on inviting the perspectives of industry vendors. That's those tend to be our primary the primary groups that are advertising in, in the ABA Banking Journal are and in that area we focus on soliciting the input and feedback and insights of primarily ABA uh, endorsed solutions providers. So those are um, companies that have gone through our due diligence process. They've been they've been vetted. They've received an endorsement from ABA for a particular product or solution that um, bankers might find useful. And then, we, so if 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 it's relevant to a story that we're working on, we'll ask our writer to solicit input from the expert there. Or if there's a um, another vendor whom we have a really good working relationship with, someone who can speak to a particular topic eloquently, uh, we like to go to those folks. Sometimes they advertise in the ABA Banking Journal. Sometimes they don't. We never make a decision about including a particular voice or perspective based on whether they're advertising or not. And you know, the advertising revenue that we get through the partnership with Naylor is what enables us to to pub- publish, continue publishing the ABA Banking Journal since it's a it, it's a membership publication versus a subscription-based publication. Something that for most of the people who receive it get it by virtue of their membership in the American Bankers Association. That it's really important, but it does not dictate our content strategy at all. And my only answer would be everything that Evan just said. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I know, I know. You know, being on the Naylor side of things, I know that it is a very delicate balance to walk and it sounds like you guys have great plans in place for how you take that feedback how you incorporate it into your magazine I have a question for you this kind of is going to go back just a little bit but you both emphasize that member communications isn't really exactly about what's trendy but more so what's effective Bill you said that you listen to your members and things like that but how do you go about finding out what's effective among your membership and other stakeholders is it an annual survey? Are you constantly checking the pulse of your membership and how they're, you know, taking in your communications, or is it something else? It's ongoing. I mean, it, we're always seeking input from our members to determine what member value really is, what they want, what they need, what brings them to the NRF, and what we can provide them in order to ensure that they stay active members of this organization. And I think that, you know, it, it is surveys, but it's also just opportunities that when we have several programs throughout the year where we get to interact with our members uh, one-on-one and, and really have uh, the conversation 
that gives us the insight to determine what may work, what may not work, what we're doing that isn't working, and what we're doing that we need to, to build upon. So a lot of it is experimentation based on what those surveys come back. And sometimes we're right on the money, sometimes we're not. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're not providing what these members want, then we're not doing our jobs. And the only way that we're going to know about that is, is if we ask them, we survey them, we work with our leadership, and we ensure that the it's not only the quality, but the quantity of the communications are meeting their expectations. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. You know, there's a you know, we track performance of the digital publications to the extent we can. So we're we're, we're tracking you know website traffic and and watching that grow every you know year on year. Uh, we're watching the uh, the performance of individual articles. And was it was, did this really resonate with readers because it it was particularly valuable or did it would it get a lot of clicks just because it, the SEO on that particular piece was particularly good we don't we try and parse that out uh, we do we check our email click throughs and open rates to make sure that we're continuing to where that we're seeing good engagement on these publications uh, you know we check we have launched a podcast last year we want to monitor the downloads carefully we we get anecdotal feedback and then we do surveys as well and we try to you know there's a lot of surveys that go out to banks, whether from us or from other people, and we are we try to make sure that we're being sensitive about the the volume of surveys and not not creating survey fatigue for our members. So um, for our flagship Newsbytes product, we survey every other year just because it, we don't want to overwhelm them with surveys. So and we, you know that's that gives us really valuable information. And uh, one of the things that's most valuable is we have a little joke of the day at the end of every issue of Newsbytes. My predecessor, who founded the this, this publication and back in 1995 started that. Usually a one-liner from one of the late-night hosts. And, and the thing that we, the thing I we hear the most in the surveys is never get rid of the lighter side. I love it. You know, <laughs> so that's the uh, so what gets people to read down to the bottom of the email every day. Is when I came on board six years ago, we weren't sending out hundreds of thousands of emails uh, with uh, news and information. We were sending millions annually. It was it was really beyond the pale. So you know. Cutting those down, figuring out what works, what people want, and, and we didn't look. You know, we weren't looking at uh, people that actually opened those emails. And when we did, I think what we found was that uh, a lot of them needed to stop r rather quickly because they weren't uh, doing what they were set out to do. So you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're, you're serving up something that nobody may ever open or read or even care about, and then it just becomes spam. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, you know, over emailing is is a big problem. And you know, when I, as a as a consumer of email, I unsubscribe when I get feel like someone's really taking advantage of whatever relationship may have may exist between me and someone who's emailing me, whether it's an association or a um, or a company that I bought something from or a company that wants to sell me something. We want to make sure you know we're constantly trying to find that right balance of. Making sure that members get the information that they want, <laughs> making sure they get the information that's really important for their relationship with us as an association and for their you know for them to achieve the advocacy priorities that they want and for them to find the professional development opportunities that they want, and not making it so that they tune out emails from us. That's great feedback. I totally agree. I think survey fatigue, email fatigue, data fatigue, <laughs> they are all very real things. That kind of brings me to another question for you guys. One thing that we've alluded to quite a few times is the rate at which communications is evolving, and I think that's no more true in 2018 as it ever has been. 
who makes decisions at your organizations about which platforms to use? How often are you guys thinking about, hey, this new platform's coming out, we need to look at doing this, or Evan, in your case, hey, this may be time for us to launch a podcast. Do you guys consult with other departments? Do you keep your decisions contained within the communications department? What does that process look like? I can say we're here. We have a real strong focus on inter inter organizational collaboration and making sure that everybody is uh, that everybody who somehow touches a particular product or relationship is is consulted. And in terms of making technology investments, for example, we have a uh, an internal task force that if we're looking at acquiring licenses to or you know acquiring software or something like that that's over a certain value that actually goes through a central approval process really just to make sure that we are making the best decision for the overall organization and not based on just what one single department needs and it's a pretty streamlined process but it does make sure that you get a the a broad perspective and so that's been really helpful um in terms of launching some a new product like i said we thought last in the fall of uh 2017, we launched a podcast, and we're only like, you know, four or five years late to the podcast game. You know, that was uh, something that we thought, that I particularly thought, this could be an opportunity to to connect with our members in a different way. We didn't have a podcast. We have had a lot of email. We had a lot of print stuff. We had website. We didn't do a lot in terms of audio. So, so the goal is basically to provide the same kind of insights, the same kind of banker perspectives and stories and expertise in a 20-minute digestible format that you can sit down over, whether it's your lunch break or your commute home, and you can get some insights that you might otherwise have missed. And we also use it as an opportunity to talk about some of the upcoming ABA um, events or training opportunities or endorse, endorsement relationships, that kind of thing. Um, so it's basically, you know, there's a there's a content marketing edge to it, but it's mostly informational. It's mostly interviews with bankers, bank leaders, and people who are thought leaders in the industry. You know, we, we launched it as a pilot. We had no idea how it was going to go. Uh, we had no idea if members would actually want to listen to it. And so we just kind of you know, we didn't buy a lot of equipment. I had a, a little digital recorder that I just sat on the table, and a coworker and I started doing this podcast. And we learned some lessons about what people wanted to hear. But we've seen really strong growth in downloads and subscriptions, and uh, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from our members about, you know, hey, this is really great. You know, I'm glad you're doing this. Uh, this this is something I'm listening to on my uh, when I go to the gym to run on the treadmill. I'm you know I'm catching up on my banking news and I'm learning about things from ABA that I that I didn't realize ABA was doing. So we've been really encouraged by that, both the anecdotal feedback and the the, the download per and subscription performance of the podcast. But it really was, you know, we talked it over with a lot of people here, made sure that everybody was kind of on board with it. But then we just launched it as a pilot and thought we'll give this two months and see where it goes, and and it's it's turned out really well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, absolutely, Evan hit it. I mean, it's, it is a collaboration within the organization because your client service base to some degree. I mean, our comms department is to the extent that. You know, we work with the GR, we work with uh, GR department, we work with the conferences department, we work with the different councils and committees. And we wanted, if GR had their way, if government relations had their way, the magazine and our website and all of our properties would be nothing other than policy. So we have to say no. <laughs> um, and we have to, at times, basically use those analytics to make our point. It, you know, mm -hmm. we can. We can have that page, but nobody goes there. So what's the point? It's it's a waste of your time uh, and our resources. However, that being said, 
there are other things that we can do. And so it, it is a collaboration. It's constantly seeking thoughts or advice or what they're hearing or what they're seeing or what the, our members are saying about what's important to them because ultimately they're the deciders of what we use, what we don't use, when we use it, how we use it, where we use it, and what we say about it. But back to the podcast, Evan, we're, we're just a year old as well. We started in May of last year. And it's it's so bad that, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I have a bunch of folks working for me that um, are in that millennial time period <laughs> generation um, because as they came to me and they said, I think we should do a podcast. Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, I said, I don't even know where you can find a podcast. And so they took my phone. They downloaded a bunch of podcasts <laughs> that they thought I would be interested in. And I started listening to them. And you could see – what the what the opportunity of doing a podcast would present for our organization. So we launched it, Retail Gets Real. And I can't tell you how shocked I am. I don't know why, but I am. The number of people that will say, oh, yeah, I've, I've listened to the podcast with Scott Galloway or I listened to that podcast with former Walmart CEO Mike Duke or I, you know, uh, I listened to that podcast about the store in the small community in South Dakota. It is unreal the, the number of professors that use that podcast for their you know retailing classes and so hmm. it's a new way to reach an audience that in some cases like for the professors i didn't even didn't even dawn on me that would be an area where we could actually have some influence in terms of telling the story so you're constantly looking for those and some of them work and some of them don't uh, the collaboration is incredibly important it's important that we stay on top of what our colleagues are doing and how we can help. But at the same time, a lot of it is saying we can't do that that way, but how about thinking of another way? So we'll yeah. put it up, do a blog post. We're not going to write an article about it. Uh, we're not going to do a podcast about it, but we'll certainly include that or suggest that for uh, one of our freelance writers for the magazine. But it's um, it constant. I, I would almost go so far as to say daily need to, to reach out and to determine what is going to be of greatest relevance uh, to our members, to the industry, and to the people that want to get that information. And Bill, I, I, I'll just say, you know, you talked about the the way that the GR folks would love to have it just be policy, policy, policy. And, you know, we, we had made an interesting discovery when we started the podcast. We had some sessions where we talked to a banker about some business strategy issues they're dealing with, that kind of thing. And then we do, we had, we'd have some where we'd talk to some of our internal experts about various policy issues that the industry is facing. And Maybe it's just my inside the beltway myopia, but I did not. I was not prepared that for the policy-focused podcast episodes to be to perform so poorly compared with the business strategy episodes. And yeah. we learned from that. We kind of we focus primarily on um, on business strategy issues. I mean, our members are come to ABA for insight on policy and regulatory issues and compliance issues. So we do focus on policy issues periodically, especially if there's something we really want to educate members about, for example, the, the current Community Reinvestment Act regulatory change process that's going on. We want to get some mem get a lot of member feedback to the regulatory agencies on that, so the podcast is one channel we're using to educate members about that. But we really do focus on um, letting business leaders tell their business stories, explain their strategies, and, um, and explain how they solve their problems. And that's been a powerful fuel for our success with the podcast, I think. Thank you for sharing these stories about how your communications have evolved and the lessons you've learned along the way as you've experimented with different types of content and different platforms. It can be really humbling working in communications. Would you agree? 
I mean, you you come to the table with your ideas and your values and what you think your audience is going to be interested in, and sometimes it's a match, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes a certain type of content doesn't do as well as you had hoped it would, or the way that you think your communications are going to be used doesn't happen, but something even greater or something even more creative comes along, and so you learn to adapt along the way. I think that's part of what makes working in communications exciting is that it's constantly changing and it's constantly becoming more creative and and useful along the way. So I I agree and, and one of the best parts of working in communications and for a trade association is that I'm learning something new every single day, whether it's about the industry or policy issues or about how to be a better communicator, how to how to um be more effective at reaching our members, being persuasive. It's that that's the best part of working in an association is just the constant learning opportunities. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up soon, but before we do, real quick from each of you, what would you say is the most exciting or rewarding aspect of your position? I'm very passionate about our industry, and I think that what excites me uh, most is having the opportunity to tell their story, from the largest to the smallest to the entrepreneur to the family business, it really doesn't matter. These people, the ability to interact with them, uh, to learn their stories, and to be a part of a, of a bigger team that helps to elevate what they're attempting to do in the community that they, they serve, the people that they employ, uh, the customers that come into their stores, and the opportunity to learn from them is uh, one of the greatest parts about my job and something I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah, I'd absolutely echo that. I mean, you know, I came to work at the ABA five and a half years ago, and I came here without any ex- special expertise in banking. And so I've kind of learned as I've gone, and I kind of came here thinking, oh, you know, this would be a nice job for a couple of years, and then I'll see what else is out there. But it's been a, it's been amazing to get to know bankers across the country, people who work in banks of all sizes, who help businesses of all sizes grow, meet their financial objectives pay their employees who help individuals like me get mortgages, get uh, consumer loans, the most pro- access the most convenient and up-to-date and secure payment platforms that are available. And that is, uh, it's really inspiring. This is a, a, a field with a, with a lot of people who are who are really humble about their role in their communities. You know, I, I was a month or so ago. I was with our incoming chairman uh, for a couple of days in his hometown down in Virginia, small town near the Chesapeake Bay. And this guy's walking around, and everybody in town knows him. And everybody in town is rolling down their windows to say hello or honking their horns. And it's like it's as if he's the mayor. No, he's not the mayor. He's a community banker. He's a he's someone who um, helps the people in their town meet their individual needs, and then helps them work together to meet local community needs, economic development needs. It's really inspiring what bankers are doing, and it's really exciting to be able to serve them by providing information and insight that helps them do their jobs better. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys both so much, Bill and Evan, for joining us today. I think you guys provided some really insightful feedback for communications professionals, but also just association leaders in general. I know I learned a lot. I loved your stories. We're really thankful that you guys took some time and and chatted with Kelly and I. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. I really loved Evan and Bill's insight and storytelling. They are definitely both great communicators. I'm looking forward to seeing where association communications go in the next three to five years. 
We're going through some exciting evolutions in communications technology, that is for sure. Thank you both again for joining us this episode. Agreed. And as a communicator myself, I've learned a lot about reaching members with the right content on the right platform from Evan and Bill. I'm really glad they could join us and share their wisdom. If you want to hear about a certain topic addressed on this podcast, drop us a line. We're always listening on Twitter and via email. Find us on Twitter at Advisor. that's A-S-S-O-C-A-D-V-I-S-E-R, or drop us a suggestion for future episodes at associationadvisor at naileronline.com. This podcast is for association professionals like you, so let us know what you want to hear about that will help you stay informed and always learning something new. That email address again for future podcast suggestions is associationadvisor at naileronline.com. Check out our recent features on nailer.com forward slash association advisor. We've spoken with Dr. Rajika Bhandari, Senior Research Advisor for the Institute of International Education, about how she and her team use research to advocate for international education programs. We're also continuing our series about foresight and board governance with Jeff DeCanya. Thank you to Naylor Association Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. Check us out at Naylor.com and learn how your association can achieve more with Naylor. Thanks for listening. Until next time.